Hi everyone, how you doing, alright? Good, if you've got your Bibles, uh, turn to Colossians please, that's in the New Testament. Um, that's the second half of the Bible. And I'll just sort of keep chatting while, uh, while sound is, uh, is sorted out. It's been a big week, hasn't it? The election and everything going on. I know many of you have been praying over the last um, few weeks. Please keep praying. As uh, negotiations go on and uh, people are trying to work out how to govern the nation, please pray there'll be great wisdom and grace upon the uh, party leaders and everyone involved. I had the privilege of being at King's Church Lewis yesterday evening. They were opening uh, their new building. They had Terry Virgo speaking and uh, it was an excellent evening. They're a church of about 100 people and... uh, Over the last two years, they've spent about a million pounds in buying the building and then in refurbishing it. And it was great to uh, see probably a couple of hundred people gathered in the auditorium and just celebrating God's faithfulness and all he had done. If you listen to any preach this week, other than the one you're listening to now, um, go on to King's Church Lewis's website... See if you can download the Terry Virgo preach, probably one of the best preachers you'll listen to this year. Very much recommend it. He was very, very good. This evening we've got a uh, leaders meeting um, in the evening, and uh, you'll know if, uh, if you're to come along to that. But we've also extended it slightly wider, and we're inviting small group leaders as well. So uh, if you're a small group leader, please come along. We're just sharing important news about the future, and it would be good for you to be there and hear about it. So this morning... Book of Colossians. The plan uh, for, for this series, and we're going to be taking it over about 12 weeks, uh, right through the summer, is that we're just going to, we've broken the book of Colossians down into, I guess if we're doing it in 12 weeks, it would be 12 sections. And we're just going to work our way through the verses. So this morning I've got the first eight verses of Colossians chapter 1. Matt is then speaking next week, and uh, he'll have the verses after that. And he'll be working, uh, we'll be working our way through that way. So rather than actually giving titles or topics, we just want to take what it says in here and do our best to explain what it means in a relevant way. So let's see if I can find the book of Colossians. That would be a good, uh, a good starting point. Colossians chapter 1. And it, t- it ties in so well. What I want to preach on today ties in so well with the worship this morning. Enjoying God's salvation. Enjoying his great love. So let's let's have a look at it. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God, and Timothy, our brother, to the holy and faithful brothers of Christ at Colossae. Grace and peace to you from God our Father. We always thank God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, when we pray for you, because we've heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and the love you have for all the saints. The faith and love that spring from the hope that is stored up for you in heaven and that you have already heard about in the word of truth, the gospel that has come to you. All over the world, this gospel is bearing fruit and growing just as it has been doing among you since the day you heard it and understood God's grace in all its truth. You learn it from Epaphras, our dear fellow servant, who is a faithful minister of Christ on our behalf, and who has also told us 
of your love in the Spirit. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we thank you for your presence with us this morning as we've exalted your name, as we've lifted your name up high. Lord, I pray, would you uh, come by your power and your presence and uh, please anoint me this morning. Lord, I'm aware I need, I need double grace this morning. Lord, I ask for all, all, all of us who are gathered here today, I pray for double grace, a double portion of grace this morning. Lord, I pray that your word would live... I pray it would be on fire this morning. I pray it would be stirring faith. I pray it would be convicting sin. I pray it would be living and active. As we look at it, as we study it, as we are hungry to hear what's on your agenda this morning. Come and have your way, we pray. In Jesus' name. Amen. Excellent. To help me uh, communicate these verses this morning and to help you understand, I'm going to split it into three sections or three parts. The first part, by way of introduction, is just going to be verses 1 and 2. Then we're going to take the middle uh, verses, 3 to 6, and we're going to finish by looking at 6 through to 8. I've got enough material here to keep me going till about 3 o'clock. That was a nervous laugh. I just need a bit of wisdom, really, to know how to uh, take us through, but I'm sure, I'm sure it will be revealed to us as we go. The first section I've called the introduction, and it, it's quite a good term, really, because it can introduce what I'm going to talk about in this preach. It's also an introduction to the letter that we're looking at, and it's a good introduction to the series. Can we put the map up um, behind Oh, it's going to come up behind me. I don't know how much of it you're actually able to see from where you are, but as I'm chatting through the introduction, it may help you to get a grasp on uh, where Colossae is. It'll help you to see where Rome is. Rome is the boot-shaped bit, or well, no, that's Italy, and Rome comes about halfway up it. Colossae is um, just north of the Mediterranean Sea. That doesn't help very much. Uh, you've got Malta and you've got Cyprus, the two islands in the Mediterranean. Colossae is in, the Tur- in Turkey, between the two just north. About 100 miles to the west you see Ephesus. Can you see Ephesus? Excellent. And if you keep travelling to the west and go up a bit, you'll find Rome. This letter called Colossians was written by Paul. It was probably written about 30 years after Jesus died on the cross... And he was probably in Rome when he wrote it. We're not certain, but cleverer people than me tell me he was likely in Rome when he was written it. So it's a cross there. The church at Colossae was planted, probably, again, it's probably in this, during Paul's ministry to Ephesus. There was a time, and it's described, I think, in Acts chapter 19, where it says Paul stayed in Ephesus for about three years. And he was preaching and teaching on a daily basis about Jesus and what Jesus did. And this guy, um, who I've read about here uh, or mentioned here, Epaphras, probably was in Ephesus at that time. And he heard the gospel, he was discipled by Paul, 
And at some point, he headed back to his home city of Colossae, where he started talking about Jesus. And that is how the church became established. So this letter written to the church at Colossae, Paul probably never went there. He, he'd never been there, but he was, he was writing this letter to the church because he'd heard how it was going from Epaphras, who had, ri- who had um, visited him in Rome. So is that sort of clear as mud? We've got Rome, where Paul wrote the letter from. Ephesus, where Paul was teaching about five years earlier. And Epaphras heard the gospel. He then travelled a hundred miles back east to his home city. And there he planted the church. All okay? Excellent. This letter was probably written five years after that. So the gospel had only been in Colossae for about five years. Hadn't been around for very long. They were quite a young, unestablished church. So Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God, and Timothy, our brother, to the holy and faithful brothers in Christ at Colossae. Grace and peace to you from God our Father. When, when you're reading the Bible yourselves at home, do, do, do any of you sort of open the Bible and you start reading, and before you know it, you're about eight verses in, five verses in, and you haven't really noticed what was said in the first few verses? Paul, in just these first two verses, packs amazing truth into them. Absolutely amazing. And I don't want to linger too long here because I've got a lot to cover. But I do just want to pick some stuff out of this because it's absolutely brilliant. If you were writing a letter to someone, what would you, what would you write? Would you write, um, to Ron, my dear friend? Okay, admittedly not all of you would write to my dear friend Ron. You may decide to title it in a different way. But, but it would be something along those lines, wouldn't it? It would be a, a simple introduction. But not with Paul when he writes this letter. What does he say? He says, to the holy and faithful brothers and sisters in Christ Jesus at Colossae. Anyone want to give a stab at what holy means? Someone shout it out. Who knows what holy means? Pure? Set apart? Very good, I don't know who said that, that's very good. This is what I've put. And that's not to say what you've shouted out is wrong, I think all of you are right um, in aspects of it. Holy. Paul was writing to God's holy ones. He was writing to a church who were holy. They weren't being made holy, they were holy. They were chosen by God and appointed for his service. They were set apart. Someone shouted set apart out. They were set apart for God's purposes. They were separate from sin, but separated for God for his glory, for his purposes. In the Old Testament, if you wanted to go and encounter God, you went to the temple. And in the temple, there were articles and there were objects that were set apart. They were holy for God. And what that meant was they could be used in the temple. They could be used for the sacrifices and the offerings, but they couldn't be used for anything else. They were holy to God. And when Paul writes this letter, one of the first words he used to describe the church is, you are holy. You are set apart for God's purposes. You've been separated away 
It's something God has done for you. You are, and you are special to me. You are separated for God's purposes. In the Old Testament, in the temple, there was, you know, sometimes I know you guys, you know, you may borrow things from the Hastings Centre. You've got a big function on. Can I borrow some trays or can I borrow some bowls or pots and pans? And uh, that's absolutely fine if you check with Tracy first. But anyway, that's a side, that's a side issue, you know. But, but the priest would not have been able to go to get these, these utensils and said, I'm cooking up my fish fingers tonight and I haven't got a pan to do it on. Because these were separated. These utensils were separated for God's purposes. And it's the same for us, church. Do you know you are his holy ones? You've not just joined a club. You don't just attend on a Sunday morning. If you know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Saviour, you're one of his holy ones. You're separated from him, for him. And for his purposes, you're not your own at the moment. You can't just be used for anything. You're to be used for his, his purposes. So when Paul wrote the letter to the church at Colossae, he said, first thing you need to know, you're holy. I think that was someone borrowing <laughs> some stuff. But I don't think they checked with Tracy first, so it's good to see I hold sway. But he didn't, just say, he didn't just say holy. Faithful brothers and sisters. The church at Colossae, that, I want you to grasp these words. They're full of meaning. They were faithful. They, they, they were in this for the long haul. They were a people of faith. They were a people who had encountered God by faith. But it was an ongoing, it was an enduring faith. They were in it for the long haul. It wasn't sort of fly-by-night Christianity. Well, I'm giving it a go, but as soon as the first obstacle or the first thing comes up, well, I'll oh, stuff it. I can't be bothered. I'm faithful. I'm, they're faithful brothers and sisters. Just as God, and we've been singing about it, God is faithful to you and will never let you down. He will never let you down. Your holiness, you are separated for him. You are called to be faithful. And do you know how it all works? Because you're in Christ Jesus. We pick that up as well in the worship. The only reason you're holy, the only reason you're separated for God isn't because you've tried hard but because you've been included in Christ. When you, when you gave your life to Christ, you might have just thought, hey, I'm making a commitment to follow him. And you were. But actually, you were included in Christ. You were included in him. What happened to Jesus Christ happened to you. Your position is secure, not, not because you can just keep going, but because you've, you're included in him. And if you've truly been included in Christ, do you know what the great news is? You can never become unincluded. You can't, you're not like a page in the Bible and hey, you're, you're included but, but now, now something goes wrong or something happens wrong and now rip the page out. Oh, no, you're not included. You are permanently included in Christ. Later on in Colossians, someone's going to have the privilege of preaching these words here. Colossians 2 verse 9. For in Christ Jesus, all the fullness of the deity lives in bodily form. That means that in Christ Jesus, he is totally God. There isn't a, a, a hair or, an, or, or any, in, in the essence, there isn't, he, Jesus is God. Fully, totally God. And you have been given fullness in Christ Jesus. You've been given fullness in Christ Jesus. Just, just as Christ is fully God, you've been given fullness in Christ Jesus. That's who you are. That's what God has done for you. Thank you, Anna. And he is the head over every power and authority. 
What on earth does that mean for your Christian life? You've been given fullness in Christ and he's head over every power and authority. There isn't anyone that trumps Jesus Christ. There's no one that can come above him in any aspect. He is head and you've been given fullness. And this is when he opens this letter. This is just the first two verses. Paul says to the holy and faithful brothers in Christ Jesus. Can you see the, the marvel? Let me just encourage you, this is an aside. When you read the Bible, read it slowly. Let the Holy Spirit take these words and make them live because they will give you life. It will change. It will change how you live life. It will affect your everyday lives as you grasp these things. You are holy. You are set apart for God's purposes. Once, you could have been used to cook fish fingers on. But now you can only be used for what God has got. That means I'm going to turn away from certain things. Why? I'm holy. That's, that's what God's done in me. I'm separated for his purposes. I don't want you to get, get caught up on the fish fingers bit. That may be a distraction. But you're holy. You're set apart for God's purposes. Read the Bible. Read it a lot. But take time. Let the Holy Spirit soak this truth into you. Let's get into the meat of these, uh, this passage. Let's have a look at uh, verses 3 to 6. It says in verse 3, We always thank God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, when we pray for you. And uh, as Paul starts to warm up, although he was doing pretty well in the first two verses, he starts by describing his prayer life for the church. And can you see, can you see in those words, let me read them again, We always thank God the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, when we pray for you. Can you pick up the warmth in his words? You know, thankfulness, warmth there. As you read through the letter, he obviously finds great joy and delight in the church. I love it when when you you pray. I I loved it when Anna prayed out. It was an exuberant prayer. You know, because we're, we're, we're a bit British, we can sort of feel sometimes a little bit, little bit awkward maybe with it, but it was, it's excellent praying with exuberance and joy and love. I love it particularly in prayer meetings when we gather to pray and there's tongues and prophecy and things like that. It's, it's absolutely brilliant. I get, I, I'm thankful to God for you. I'm thankful to God for your commitment to him. I'm thankful to God for your, your great love for one another. I'm thankful for, for God for every mercy and blessing that he's given to you. I'm thankful to God when you find work. I'm, I, I find joy in how things go with you. I, I delight in what happens with you. And I find that does good to my soul. Do you find that? Do you find that as you're thankful, as you celebrate and enjoy God's goodness, that it does you good? Paul was in prison when he wrote these letters. It says at the end of the letter that he's in chains. He hadn't even seen the church. He'd probably never been there. He'd not seen it. It wasn't his personal um, ministry fulfilled there. It wasn't that he'd, uh, he'd, he'd been part of it in any way. He hadn't seen it, he hadn't even, he hadn't heard it with his own ears, he'd just heard from Epaphras how well it was going, but he rejoiced in the grace and the goodness of God. Let me encourage you church, be a church that rejoices when things go well. 
Even when stuff's tough, personally, we can still rejoice. We can still thank God for the goodness that we see going on for other people. It will do you good. Some of you may benefit from rejoicing and celebrating in the successes and the goodness of God in other people's lives. It will do you good. Rather than maybe focusing on the challenges you're facing. Hey, lift your eyes, look and see, God, God is good. God is faithful. God is able. We have heard about your faith. Why was Paul thankful? Because he'd heard about their faith in Christ Jesus. And the love that they have for all the saints. The faith and love that spring from the hope that is stored up for you in heaven. And that you have already heard about in the word of truth. The gospel that has come to you. Why was Paul? Why was Paul thankful? Why was he rejoicing in, in, in the, with the Colossians? What was it that he saw? Who can shout it out? There's two particular things he saw. There was fruit, yep, name the fruit. What, what was the fruit? There's gospel. Gospel, they could, you could see something. You could see some, two things particularly. Faith and love, yeah. Very good, Ollie. Excellent. He gets a well done sticker at the end of the meeting. Faith and love. Epaphras was describing the church, um, uh, uh, I was going to say at Ephesus, but that wouldn't have helped. He was describing the church at Colossae and, and he, he, he named two things that he saw, faith and love. They're things that we often speak about, but the reason we, we speak about those, those things is because they're critical to the Christian, Christian faith. They're, they're, it's how we work, it's, it's what we're about. Faith is trusting God today. I'm trusting Christ today that he'll come up trumps. If you really want to nail it down, if, if you, are, you, are you living by faith? Are you in faith? I'm trusting Christ today that he is able in the circumstances that I'm facing. That's what it is to have faith. I'm, I'm nailing myself down. I'm tying myself to Jesus. I'm trusting you. You will come through for me. I'm trusting. And it's, it's the currency as Christians that we use. We don't have another currency to spend. It's faith. And if we're bankrupt in faith, we're bankrupt as Christians. We, we need to be men and women of great faith. God has always asked his people to take on unsurmountable odds. He loves it. He loves to put things in front of us and says, will you trust me? Can you overcome? Not because you're able in yourself, but because I am able and I am a big God and I, am, I have complete supremacy. Trust me. Can you trust me in this? Faith is it's, it's the currency that we use. We, we don't have another way. Do you know that our faith glorifies God? Because we prove his faithfulness. In the challenges that we face, as we trust God, as we push through. What was, what was the testimony? I can't remember who it was that, that shared that testimony. But, oh, it was Lynn, wasn't it? There was someone who had been on an Alpha because they'd had a friend, someone in this church probably sat here today, who'd been a friend to them for 20 years, and through the difficult times... She, had, she wouldn't know it's this, she would have seen her faith. She would have seen it and it speaks. I'm not certain that the world is that impressed by our, mor- our morality. 
I don't think the world is that impressed by morality, but it is impressed by faith, overcoming difficult circumstances, pushing through when everything else falls. So if we want to speak loud, active, diligent faith. That's not to say that morality is not important, but active faith. That, that's what has. That's what speaks to a world. That is dying. In the good times, signs, wonders and miracles, but also in the bad times, pushing through. But it wasn't just faith, was it? It was love. I think it's in Galatians, it says that love, was it faith producing love? Faith producing love. And as a, as a church, as God's people, we are a people who love. We're not people who just love in a vacuum. Actually, what it says here, doesn't it, in Colossians, it talks about Paul had heard of their love for all the saints. So in other words, what, what the testimony, the story that had come to Paul was that the church loved one another deeply. That there was an active love. What does, what does love look like? It's, what, patient? Yeah, forgiving. Forbearing. Compassionate. Kind. Long-suffering. You're thinking of my preach with that, aren't you? I can tell. That's, that's what love looks like. But it's expressed in this community. It's, it's expressed in the church. It wasn't, love in a, it wasn't love in a vacuum. It's really, I find it really easy to love everyone when I'm praying to God. Do you know what I mean? When I'm just on my own in my own quiet time. It's, a, it's amazing how, 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 how quickly that can be turned around. You know, I'm, I'm just praising God and then one of the boys barges in and says, uh, can you turn the TV on? It's like, oh no, no, I'm praising God. And then someone else, one another one barges in and says, can you fix my Lego model? No, no, look, I'm praising God. Now look, off you go. And then the third one comes in with his nappy halfway round his knees and, and oh, forget it all. You know, it's sort of like, <laughs> it's easy, isn't it, when you're on your, you're, when you're on your own. I can, I can love God. Yeah. Oh, I, think I'm, my, I think my love is nearly perfect. And within about 10 minutes of my quiet time in the morning, it's all gone to pot and I'm going to work in a, in a bad mood. Do you know what I mean? It, but but it's, love in, it's not love in a vacuum, it's love worked out in relationship. It's worked out in small group, when that particularly noisy person pipes up for the 15th time in the small group meeting. And you think, well, can't you just let someone else pray? Faith and love. We're not talking about perfection, we're talking about a growing faith. And did, did you see here, I mean, I, I, love, I love the words that he uses here, faith and love, that spring from the hope. There's a springing out, there's a, there's an, a, a growth. It's not, it's not that, that Epaphras was pulling, let me pull faith and love out of you. I'm going to pull a bit of faith, I'm going to pull a bit of love out of them. No, there was a springing up. There's a springing up. It's, it's talking about here, and it says, from the very day you heard the gospel in all its truth. He's saying, like, from the very moment, from the very moment that you gave your life to Jesus Christ, that genuine saving faith, there was something that started to spring out of you, come out of you, grow out of you. It was a faith and a love. That was fruit, that was things, they, they, they were shoots coming up. 
Then we need training and at times we need teaching and discipleship. We do need those things and we need to do them diligently. But if you've been born again, there will be growth. There will be change. Your very desires change because you've been born again. Because it's not a small thing, this. This is a wonderful salvation. You have been united with Christ. You've been joined with him. So something springs up. Do you perceive it? Do you hear it in, in, in what I'm reading here? The, the language that Paul uses. A springing up of faith and love from the hope, from the hope stored up for us in heaven. Hope is a guarantee of the never-ending generosity of God. Do you know the hope of God? It's the guarantee. I've got the guarantee of the never-ending generosity of God. Do you know that? Are you living life that way? Knowing you've got the guarantee of the never-ending generosity of God over your life. Never-ending generosity. It's never going to run out. You know, if you, think it, if you think it's failing, you think God's failing, hope, faith, never-ending generosity of God. He will never let you go. I am no gardener. Any of you who have been to my house will know that. All sorts of things grow in my garden. Some of them by design and some just spring up all on their own. A mixture of plants and weeds. But Brian or Clive who are gardeners, and I know many of you are keen gardeners, know that if you plant the right seeds at the right time, in the right way, and look after them as you need to do, what will happen to those seeds? Over this way, what will happen to these seeds? Test to see if you're a gardener or not. They grow. There's growth. 1 Peter 1 verse 23 says this, For you have been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable, through the living and enduring word of God. You've been born again, not, it's not a perishable seed, it's imperishable. And as I was mentioning about it springing up, it's, it's, it's another way, it's another picture of using it. But if you've been born again, there is. A change. You've got the imperishable seed of the word of God within you. It changes your life. It's not just a skin-deep response. The very core of your being is different. Now, it's not that we're perfect or that everything gets sorted out overnight, but over time... We, we should see fruit. And in our lives, some of you have been uh, Christians for a few years, I'll be polite, maybe a couple of years or so. Do you know the grace and the power of God at work in your life, drawing you on? Do you know his hand? It's, it's, I've found in life at seasons, at times in my life, following God is really easy and fun and exciting and, and, and I just I know seasons of grace and blessing. At other times it feels a bit like Chloe may be with um, Ethan if he doesn't want to go to school and Ethan would know the steady reassuring hand in the small of his back pushing him forward towards the school gate. It is, it is time to go to school. 
And I guess in, in seasons of my life, I have known the hand of God, not physical, but drawing me on in his purposes. It's, I don't want to go this way, Lord, but I know. I know you've, you're drawing me on, you're pulling me. Now I can resist, I can say, no, I'm not going this way, Lord, but I know God drawing me on. Springs up. There's, there's a power, there is a life in the gospel. It works out in our lives. We need to respond to his promptings and his guidance, but he's at work. You've, 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 been, you've been born again. The seed has life to grow and to spring forth. Do, do you know that in your life? Are you aware? Can you, can you perceive it? Can you see it? You may be in a season where, where it feels a bit dry and arid and you're thinking, oh, I don't know if I'm, I'm really in God's purposes. Well, but he's still at work. Look back, think back. You know he's at work in your life. You know. That gives you reassurance. God is for you. He is working out his purposes. This gospel, it works. I haven't mentioned that yet. I meant to, I meant to mention it all the way through my preach. So I failed miserably. But it works. Do you, do you know? It works. It's worked in your life. Look around at the people here. Just have a look around. You're not looking, you're looking at me. Look, look around, look around. Look around. Many of you are not candidates for religion, are you? Many of you would not be, you know, 20 years ago or five years ago or even two weeks ago, you would not have expected to find yourself here, but you are here because the imperishable seed was planted in your life and it's growing and it's having effect and it's bearing fruit and it's changing the very core of what is going on inside because that's God's work. It's his word that is effective within you. My last point, and you can tell I was lacking inspiration during my preparation. It not only really works, I'm sorry, it not only works, it really does work. And that's my, that's my last point. Um, but I did feel that that was, <laughs> please pray I have inspiration in my preparation. You can tell I, I, I need it. I need it here. But actually, it, it emphasises what I want to say because the gospel doesn't just work in the depth of your, own, of your life, but it actually works in a breadth because it goes over cultures, it goes over nations, it goes over boundaries because it can work in any culture, in any life, to transform and to change. Not many things are ju- just transferable, but the gospel is transferable. It works in any human being. It is effective. It really does work. It says this all over the world. This gospel is bearing fruit and growing. Isn't it lovely? So I'm sure lovely is not a good manly word to say, but isn't it lovely? This gospel is growing and it's bearing fruit. Can you see it? It's growing and bearing fruit all over the world, just as it has been doing among you since the day you heard it and understood God's grace in all his truth. Can you pop the next map up? You can tell this morning is a morning for maps. Sometimes I do celebrities, this morning I'm doing maps. You won't be able to read the names, but do you sort of recognise the geography here a little bit? On the far left-hand side, you've got the boot of Italy. You've got Turkey in the middle. Some of you may be going on holiday uh, there this year. And then across to the right-hand side is Iran. By the time this letter was written, that's how far the gospel had travelled. It was in North Africa, it was in Turkey, it was in Greece, it was in Italy, and it had moved the other way into Iran as well. That's where the gospel had got to over 30 years. They had no trains or planes or cars or jeeps. It was on foot. You could occasionally get a boat if you wanted to go across some water, which was helpful. And you maybe had a thumb a lift for a donkey. But that's pretty much the, the forms of transport of the day. But the gospel had spread that far in 30 years. 
even without Twitter and Facebook, the gospel spread. It went. Word of mouth. People just going out. So when Paul says all over the world, he was talking about the Roman world, he was talking about the world they knew about, but it was spreading. It was, it was amazing how effective it had been. And, and it was only started with a handful of disciples who were all carrying away in an upper room. All over the world, this gospel is being effective. And from our own ranks, what's the breadth of our gospel impact in our own ranks? We've got Nigel and Claire who are in Berlin at the moment. They've been planted and I hope they don't mind me saying this, like a dried up seed in the hard ground of Berlin. It's tough going, but it's the imperishable seed. What, what can they do? Three million people who don't seem that interested in what the Bible says. What, what can they achieve? Well, it's amazing what they can achieve. By the power of the Holy Spirit, the imperishable seed... It may be slow, it may take a while to grow, but it's amazing. People just like them, centuries before, planted churches and we're living in the good of it now. Not just Berlin. Let's get some of the breadth. Lawrence and Christine in the south of France. Phil and Christina Bacon in Valencia in Spain. Dan and Andrea in the Middle East. Lynn, who's recently come back from the Middle East. Simon and Alison Wong in the USA. John and Victoria Clements in New Zealand. Can you see the breadth of the gospel? It's, it's bearing fruit all around the world. It's having impact all around the world. No heart is too hard. No mind is too closed. No life is too lost for the gospel to be effective. And it wasn't some super apostle who planted the church. It wasn't that, that Paul had gone to plant the church. It was Epaphras who went. We don't even know if Paul knew he was going back. We, we don't know if he was sent. We don't know how it worked. But this man went back and he had the gospel within him. And he went back and he started probably talking to his friends and his relatives. He knew the culture. He knew the city there. He went back talking and, and it was effective. So five years later, Paul needed to write a letter to the church. Can you see? The gospel, it works. It really does work. It, it, it can take root in the hardest of grounds, in the least likely opportunities. Epaphras was probably, had probably been a Christian for as little as three years when he went back to Colossae. Was he a full-time worker? Probably not. Was he sent by Paul? Well, we don't know. But he went back and the gospel was effective. What can we do in Hastings, Bexhill, the surrounding towns and villages? What can we do? This gospel works. If you're part of this church here in Hastings, we've got responsibility for Hastings. We've got responsibility for Bexhill. We've got responsibility for some of the surrounding towns and villages. We've got responsibility for these places. That they would hear the gospel. That they would have opportunity to respond. There isn't a problem with the seed. There's not a problem with the gospel. The question that we need to ask as a church is, how are we going to get the gospel there? How did the gospel get from, from Ephesus to Colossae? It got there because Epaphras took it. He explained it, he described it. How will people uh, come to know this wonderful good news that's changed our lives? How will they come to know if we don't tell them? If we don't go? 
how will we give this gospel legs? How will we, how will we give this gospel a tongue to communicate it? That's our responsibility. That's, that's what we're here for. What were some of Jesus' last words? Go and make disciples of all nations. Baptising them in the name of the Father, the Son and the Holy Spirit and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. It's, it's our responsibility to go. Just as Epaphras went from Ephesus to Colossae, so it's our responsibility. How are we going to do it? How are we going to have a greater impact on our nation that doesn't know that we have bread that's satisfied? That we have water that will quench any thirst. How will they know if, if we don't tell them? How will we know if we don't try to explain it in ways that they can understand and is relevant? It's our responsibility, church. It's your responsibility in your workplace and in our streets. How will we go? How will we communicate these things? Let's stand. We are recipients of a wonderful, wonderful gospel, aren't we? Isn't it wonderful? It springs up, it has a life within it. It has saved us from all of our sin. We have been set free. But we also have a responsibility to go. I pray, Holy Spirit, would you come upon us right now. Lord, I thank you for this wonderful gospel that someone shared with us. That's why we're here. And there are hundreds of testimonies of changed and transformed lives in this room because this gospel came to us and because it's effective, it works. Lord, I pray, would you stir us afresh with missionary zeal to go again, to share it with people we've not shared it with before, to be increasingly creative in the ways we communicate it. Lord, we thank you. You say you co-work or we co-work with you. Give us fresh vision and faith for the things you're calling us to do. We pray that in Jesus' name. And all the people said? Amen. Amen. Excellent. It's brilliant to uh, be gathered together this morning to be able to worship God and hear the word of God. If um, you're invited to the leaders' meeting this evening, please, uh, please head up there. It would be great to see you. We're closed. Have a cup of coffee. And enjoy your afternoon. It's been great being with you.